following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. We've been looking at some Old Testament pictures of Jesus and his death on the cross, the events leading up to that day, uh, all of the things that we'll be looking at in culmination next week on Resurrection Sunday. I do hope that you're planning to be here. I hope that you can make it to the sunrise service, uh, such a special, special time as we come together, uh, not only as a church, but as churches unite throughout our community and our parish uh, to worship the Lord on his day, this special day, Easter Sunday. So I hope you're making plans to be there. One of the uh, most iconic scenes in the Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark movie series, for me personally, uh, was in the very first movie when they finally discover the location where they think that the Ark of the Covenant uh, is actually resting at. And so, all throughout the movie, we know Indiana Jones, man, he's not afraid of anything. He's big, he's brave, he's strong, he's adventurous, he's smart, he's got it all. Except for the one thing that he's afraid of. (laughs) And as they find the location, the place where they think that the Ark of Covenant is, he doesn't know what's down there. He takes a torch and he drops it. And he rolls over on his back and he looks up and he says, Snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? <laughs> Anybody else here afraid of snakes? Does it terrify? They catch me by surprise. I'm not petrified of them, but they do catch me off guard from time to time. Uh, earlier this week, my wife was organizing and unpacking some stuff at the house, and she had this little rack of organizers, and she sent me a picture of, of one that she had opened up, and there was only one thing in it, and it was a dead snake. It was a little, it looked like a little baby ground rattler about this long. It had been there for a while. He was petrified, and I'm pretty sure she was petrified, among other things, when she opened it up and discovered what it was. And I thought, you see, you know, why, why couldn't I think of setting something like that up for April Fool's Day? You know, yesterday was April Fool's, and that would have been a, the perfect setup for that, so... Uh, Many of us are petrified of certain things and snakes, and we see that uh, in the wilderness where Moses and the children of Israel are at, they run into a situation where God intentionally sends snakes for a purpose. And so as we think about this, as we think about uh, the, the poison that sin brings in our life, the death that it brings in our life. This, this kind of paints a picture for us about how Satan works as well. Satan is often uh, referred to as a serpent. The serpent in the Garden of Eden uh, was symbolic of Satan. And so as we read through this story, that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, maybe these people were petrified of. Maybe that's what it was that they feared the most. But there are some important lessons that we can learn through what happened here Uh, In this event, let's all stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read through it and then we'll unpack uh, what this story actually means and what it represents. And if you're wondering, Jesus does refer to this particular story uh, as he teaches in the New Testament. Therefore, he confirms, he puts his seal of approval on the Old Testament and on this scripture passage in this book of the Bible. 
And in Numbers 21, starting in verse 4, it says, Then they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Are you discouraged with the journey you're on right now? Maybe you can find some hope in what you hear this morning, what you see through this story. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Now remember, this is God's chosen people. This isn't the pagan nations surrounding them. This isn't God's enemies, but this is God's people, his children, that he did this to. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpent's from us. That's going to be an important part here in just a little while. If you don't mind, underline those four words right there. Take away the serpents. So Moses prayed for the people. As his intercessor, he always prayed for them. He went to the Lord on many, many times. He stepped up to the plate and went up to bat and he pled to the Lord on their part as he did here. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We truly believe, Lord God, that this is the inspired and word of God. And we want to take it, Lord God. We want to open it up. We want to look at it. But most of all, Lord, we want it to speak to our hearts today. I pray that through this message, uh, through this account of what the children of Israel had to go through during this time, Lord God, that we can live our life with confidence that you want the best for us and you have a solution for every problem that we meet in our life. We just ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. So there are five specific things if you have your outline and you're following along. Uh, The first thing that we notice is the complaining and the discouragement that these people have discovered through their journey. Uh, The journey's been long. It's been difficult. They've been uh, out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. They've been delivered from bondage and slavery. They've been wandering around in the wilderness, but because they refused to go into the promised land because they think that they were unable to take it, God has forced them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. The spies went into the land of Canaan for 40 days to scope it out, and God said, because of each one of those 40 days, because of your doubt and your disbelief, you're going to wander in the wilderness for one year for each of those days. And so along the way, God provided every one of their needs. They didn't lack anything. As a matter of fact, on the way out of Egypt, the Egyptians themselves blessed them with gold and silver and everything that they would need to build the tabernacle out in their wilderness. But how quickly do we forget of God's blessings? How often do we actually stop and say, you know, God, 
gas is expensive right now, but I thank you that I have a vehicle to drive. I got money in my banking account to buy that gas. How often do we stop and think of that? We forget too often about the blessings that God has provided for us. And so far too often, we begin complaining and bellyaching about how bad we actually have it, when in essence we forget about how good we actually have it. So number one thing I want you to see here is that complaining and discontentment are extremely contagious. Complaining and discontentment are extremely contagious. They develop a bad attitude. It starts with one person. You can have a good conversation going on and one person steps in with a pessimistic, complaining, belly aching attitude. And guess what? It doesn't take long before everybody in that conversation has completely changed and they are now down in the dumps. It infects the entire crowd and it affects the entire crowd. So belly aching, discontentment, they're contagious. They spread faster than accusations during election year. <laughs> it happens that quickly, like wildfire. It's so much easier to dish out complaints. It's just natural for us to complain about our conditions than it is to praise God for the things that we have. So if you think about it, this goes all the way back to the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they were placed in a perfect environment, had everything that they wanted, everything they needed. They had fellowship. They had communion with the Lord. They had each other. Nothing to worry about. Didn't have to toil. Didn't have to labor. But yet they became unhappy because the serpent, Satan, came along and tempted them. He said, why are you happy with what you have when you could have this over here? God gave them one rule. They had one job. Don't eat of this tree. And Satan said, how much better would your life be if you would eat of this tree? And so the fall of man began because they became discontent about what God had provided them with. Think about this. Today, the day that we celebrate, Palm Sunday, Jesus came into the town, into Jerusalem. The entire crowd, everybody, as far as we can see, except for those who were plotting to kill Jesus, they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Man, they were happy because here he was. Here was Jesus, the king that we've been waiting for. But that very same crowd was persuaded the following week to say, we want Barabbas and we want you to crucify Jesus. How big of a difference did one week make? All because somebody said, look, let's stir the crowd up. We know it's contagious. We know that we can persuade them. We know that we can make them discontent. What does the Bible say about being happy and complaining? What does the Bible say that our attitude as believers should be like? Write this verse down, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. As a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, as one of his children, 
as someone who personally testifies of his goodness, how well can you persuade a person to trust in a God that loves them and say that God can meet your every need when all they hear from you is belly aching and complaining? It doesn't work like that. They hear you with your complaining. They see your pessimism. And they say, I, I don't want no part of that. I, I can do that without God in my life. But if you truly want to be a light shining in a dark world, you say, I got everything I need. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And in him and him alone I trust. So how did this all start? How did this complaining, how did this negative attitude, how did this discouragement start? There's no food and no water when God was providing for them each and every day. I can almost imagine the conversation where this might have started. It might have started with one tent in the entire community. The wife comes in. She's got her daily gathering. Good morning, dear. How are you? Are you ready for breakfast? And the husband sits on the edge of the bed. Man, nah, I don't want any of that today. I'm, I'm sick and tired of that. We've had that every morning for 40 years now. Why can't we have something different? <laughs> this is what I'm not, this is not what I, as a matter of fact, you haven't had to work for it. God has given it to you. All you had to do is go out and pick it up. But I'm tired of it. It, it, it even goes as far to say, there's no food and water. Our soul loathes this worthless bread. When's the last time that you've actually loathed something? I can honestly say, I don't know if I've ever used the word when I've said I hated something. I'll just say, I hate it, I don't like it. I've never said I loathe something. But the complaining had gotten that bad, and their attitude toward God had completely changed. When we forget how unworthy we are, of receiving God's goodness and his grace towards us, an ungrateful attitude sets in and complaining starts. We fail to remember that we don't deserve it. We can't earn it, yet he just keeps blessing us with his goodness. We don't have anything to complain about. As an American living in the land of plenty, we don't have anything to complain about. Especially as a child of God. Man, I've got Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've got heaven as my home. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't have anything to worry or complain about. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 tells us this. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So when that complaining attitude starts, when, that when those ungrateful thoughts set in, you just think, God, I'm saved. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and that's all I need. If I don't have anything else in my life, I'm satisfied with Jesus. And so that's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to rob you of your joy. His first step to defeating you is to rob you of your joy. Satan wants you to express your complaints to the Lord instead of enjoying your fellowship with him. Don't let him do it. Man, the, the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And in the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. 
No, discouragement is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) You don't have the spiritual gift of complaining. That's not in there. But God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. And he wants to let that light shine through you. When others see your joy in the relationship that you have with the Lord and how satisfied you are, that's what's going to attract them to the gospel. Man, I see Jesus in that person. I see somebody who is living a blessed life. I see somebody who is content with their relationship with the Lord. That's what the world wants. So that was the first thing I want you to see is that complaining and discontentment are extremely contagious and they lead to other things. They can actually lead to a sinful lifestyle. What, what are most of the sinful things that we see? We're not happy with our life and we want more. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil because we come, become discontent with how much we have and we want more, 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 and all of a sudden it overtakes us. It leads us down a road that we shouldn't go to. And so this complaining led to a sinful situation as well. And point number two that I want to make is found in verse six. All sin has a consequence. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Sin has a consequence. Yeah, you, you heard me say that, right? Even after you become a Christian, that sin nature is still there. That ability, that nature is going to be there and you're going to have to deal with it until the end of your life. But you have to learn how to control it. You have to learn how to repent of your sin. You have to learn when you become a Christian, the ability of sin does not go away, but the penalty of sin is what goes away. But that sin affects your fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It pushes you further away from that fellowship with him. And in verse 6, here's what they said. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. So some people had to live with the consequence of their sin. They had to live with that penalty. They had to live with the pain of that serpent bite. Some of them died right away. I don't know why some died and some did not. I don't know if it was the older ones with less immunity. Maybe it had been a pre-existing condition. But we see that God sent serpents as judgment. God sent serpents as a a payment of their sin. Not as a payment, but as a consequence of their sin. So here's the thing that I want you to know is that sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. It has a consequence. You think about Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. He spoke out for the Lord. He was a Hebrew. He knew the Lord. But his obedience, his disobedience was a sin that took him further and further away from the Lord. And every step he took, he went down to Joppa, down to the ship, down to the belly of the ship, and then down into the belly of the well until he repented of that sin, looked up, And God brought him back into that relationship with him. Many of the people died, not all of them, but some of them had to live with the pain and the regret of the mistake when they were bitten. Can I just say this right now? If something's not going your way, It's not because God is mad at you. It's not because he's angry at you. It's because he's trying to correct you. 
It's because he loves you. And he gives you what you need. He doesn't give you what you want. Scripture says to despise not the chastening of the Lord. And so in their complaining, in their discouragement, in their belly aching, God said, I'm going to do something that's going to reestablish our fellowship and reestablish your trust with me. I'm going to correct your way of thinking, this stinking thinking that you have because of your complaining. And I'm going to lead you to a place to where you have to trust in me even more through what I provide. So something I want you to think about, if you want to turn there, you can. If you want to write it down, it comes out of Job chapter 2. This was after all the bad things happened to Job. Job was a righteous man. He was a just man. He loved the Lord. But God took basically everything away from him. He allowed Satan to have control over certain parts of his life. And after all of the bad things happened to him, here's what Job had to say. His wife came to him in chapter 2, verse 9. She says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? She said, I want you to curse God and die because he's allowed all of these bad things to come into your life. And I love Job's response. It's classic. And it's something we should think about when bad things start to occur in our lives. But he said to her, he told his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? Think about that for just a minute. When is the last time that you've actually told the Lord, Lord, thank you for this trial that you're taking me through? It's a sign that you love me. And it's probably something that I brought upon myself. And now I realize that it's something that I need to repent of because it's a mistake that I made. When's the last time you thanked him for the adversity that you're going through? When's the last time you actually thanked him for the lesson that you're going to learn from that adversity? But what these people of Israel were going through, it was a consequence of their very own sin. Here's a verse that I want you to remember. You've heard me quote this verse numerous times, Romans 6, 23. It says that the wages of sin is death. And what's a wage? A wage is something that is rightfully yours. It's something that you've earned. It's something that you got coming to you. So the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So as we think about this in the context of Numbers chapter 21 and what's going on with the children of Israel, some died, some had to live with their suffering. So when the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, I think it's actually referring to two different kinds of death. For the person who's not a believer that dies with unconfessed sin in their life, I believe it is talking about eternal death in a place called hell. We're all going to face death one of these days. No doubt about it, these bodies are going to wear out. We're going to come to the end of our life. So if you've never confessed your sins to the Lord, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never made it a point to bow down on your knees and say, God, please forgive me because I have sinned, 
You're going to spend eternity in hell. The wages of sin is death. It's what you've got coming to you. It's the penalty that you deserve. It's the penalty that your sin has earned. But for the person who is a believer, I think that death is talking about the death of your fellowship with the Lord. Because if you're living with sin in your life, you don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to spend time in prayer. You start just drifting further and further away from the Lord. And your fellowship with the Lord essentially dies. The wages of sin is death. Death is a result of sin because sin, because of sin, someone or something has to die. In the Old Testament, they had the sacrificial system. A sacrifice had to be made. When Adam and Eve sinned, an animal had to die because they used the animal skins to cover their, their naked bodies. They would make an offering because of sin. There were so many different offerings because of different sins. In the New Testament, it was one offering for all time. It was a sinless, spotless Lamb of God whose name was Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to make it to where you don't have to worry about all those offerings and sacrifices anymore. I'm going to do it one time for one and all. Because only I have the power to overcome sin and the death that it brings. Because of their discontentment and their rebellion, the Israelites were getting exactly what they deserved. All sin has a consequence. Point number three, what, what did they do because of that? Verse 7 says that therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord. See how uh, specific they're getting with it? We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. The only thing about it is, is they were coming to God on their terms with their demands. God, we want you to forgive us. We want you to do it our way, though. We, we think we have a solution for this problem. Just take away the serpents and all will be good. God, we're sorry we've committed our sins, but here's what I want you to do about it. They came with demands. Point number three is this. Drawing closer to God begins with repentance. Repentance is this. You're going one way. It's away from God. And you say, God, I don't want this. I want to draw closer to you. But when you truly repent of something, you say, God, I made a mistake. And whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it your way. And if you'll notice, did God take away the serpents? The serpents were still there. But we find out that God made a solution to their problem. And he did it his way, not their way. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up, you need to hear this. <laughs> Pay close attention. I don't want you missing out on this part. Have you ever prayed to God and demanded that he do something in a specific way? Have you ever prayed to God and demanded that he do something your way? You say, God, I think I've got this figured out. Here's what needs to happen. Do you realize who you're talking to when you say that? How's that ever worked for you? How's that working out? <laughs> God says, uh -uh, you just come to me and you lay your problem and you let me take care of it. 
Everything that we read in Scripture is so unorthodox, and it is ways that he took care of stuff and provided for them that we never would have dreamed of. Manna from the, I mean, this stuff just appeared on the ground, and they'd go out and they'd pick it up. Parting the Red Sea, why, why not just go around it? Why not build a bridge? Why not tunnel underneath it? No, I'm going to split that sucker wide open, and I'm going to let you walk across on dry ground. When the Bible says that the axe head floated, I believe that the axe head floated. <laughs> I've never seen it happen before, but I believe it. God can do some amazing things. Can anybody testify to that? And if we'll turn loose and let him take care of the situation, he is more than capable of doing that. But drawing closer to God begins with repentance. Not coming on your own terms, but coming on his terms. Say, God, I don't know how you're going to fix this problem, but I trust in you to take care of it in whatever way you choose. You said, surely, God, you you didn't get that right. Maybe I got the wrong message. Is this really what you're asking me to do? God, you created this thing called a duck-billed platypus. What in the world was that all about? (laughs) If you try to figure God out, man, you're going to go bonkers. And if we could figure God out, he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? So they made this demand. They said, God, we're sorry, but... Here's what we want you to do. We want you to take away the serpents. That's not how repentance works. Repentance works like this. God, I let go and I give you control. I don't know how you're going to fix it. I just trust that you will. I don't know what you're going to do with my life, but I trust in your will and your ways. God, you've blessed us with manna. You've blessed us with quail. You've provided the water. Our shoes didn't wear out. Our clothes didn't wear out. Our feet didn't even swell up. But how about, how about doing something with these snakes, man? These snakes are, it's an inconvenience. It was the punish that, punishment that they actually deserved. And now they're trying to tell God how to take care of the situation. God, this is the only solution you got, a a snake on a pole, and you just want us to simply look at it? What kind of a solution? Wouldn't it be easier just to take the snakes away than to make us have to go to this pole and look at it after we've been bitten? But God said, this is the way I want to do it. And so that's what we say these days. God, wouldn't it be easier if I could just work, 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 work to earn your forgiveness? Wouldn't it be easier if I would just be baptized and be forgiven like that? Wouldn't it be easier if I could earn my own salvation? God said, no, I don't work like that. He said, I want you to do it like this. He said, you look at the cross right there and you realize that your sin has been paid for. And all you need to do is trust in that provision that I made. He says, look at the cross. My only son has taken care of the sin payment that you deserve. And he says, now, quit living the way that you want and start living the way that I want you to. And see how that works out for you. The next thing I want you to see is that the only way to receive God's forgiveness is by faith. Verse number 8. After they came to the Lord, said they had sinned, they made their demand. 
Here's what the Lord told Moses to do. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Wouldn't it be great to have health care without a HMO, a PPO, or Medicare parts A through Z, or how many it is, when you had one place you can go through to be healed? Not have to worry about all that paperwork and doctor's appointments. God says, here's the problem. Man has been infected with something called sin. And there's only one solution for it. And right there is where you need to go. And that's the only place where you'll find true healing. And in this situation, he says, everybody who has been bitten by these serpents, all they got to do is look up. And by faith, they'll be healed. They'll be healed of the disease that they're infected with. They'll be healed of the, the poison that this serpent has injected into their body. They'll be healed by faith, not because of what they did or what they can do or because I've taken the serpents away. The serpents are still there. But if you're bitten, if you're infected, if you've sinned, all you have to do is look up and I'll heal you. And I think about that in our story, our our narrative that we looked at last week. When Abraham took his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah, he lifted his eyes and he saw off in the distance the place where he was going to sacrifice. And then right before he was to plunge the dagger into Isaac's heart and offer him as a sacrifice, he looked up and he saw God's provision. And now as the children of Israel are infected with the serpent's bites, God's saying all you got to do is look up and by faith you'll be healed. Right now, if you're living with sin in your life, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, say, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Here's what the other part of that verse says. It says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift of eternal life. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to repay him for it. He has freely made a way for you to have forgiveness for your sins. The wages of sin, something you earn, something you deserve is death. But the gift of God, something you don't deserve, something he's given to you because he loves you, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Turn with me to the book of John chapter 3. I want you to see this for yourself. Jesus refers to this very passage in his conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. We all know John 3.16, but very rarely do we look at the verses prior to that and why he would even say John 3.16. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. This is what he tells Nicodemus. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended to heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is the Son of Man. Listen to this in John 3.14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And just as the children of Israel looked up to that pole with a serpent on it, and they believed that this would bring healing power because of the serpent's bite, they would not die. They would be healed. And that's the reference that Jesus is making to this religious man. See, Nicodemus had a copy of the book of Numbers. He had the Old Testament. He had the laws of Moses. He had this very story. And he didn't see the picture that Moses was creating through this story. But now Jesus is laying it out clearly to him. Nicodemus, here's what this story means. Here's what it represents. Here's why Moses wrote it down. And that's why we have it as well, to give us a picture of what God wants to do in and through our life, and how we can have salvation by faith. The only way to receive God's forgiveness is by faith. Jesus Christ has done this. To receive God's forgiveness by faith means that you've accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior. You believe that he died on that cross in your place. That, That should have been me on that cross. That should have been you on that cross. Because the Bible clearly tells us that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And it tells us that the wages of sin is death. We should have died on the cross that day 2,000 years ago. But Jesus said, I'll die in their place. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. You see, on that day 2,000 years ago, he took your place on the cross of Calvary. And he paid your sin debt. He said, you know what? You've got a debt that you can't pay. You owe a debt that you cannot pay. But he said, you know what? Paid in full. I got you covered. You don't have to worry about it no more. All you have to do is by faith look up and believe that I became your substitutionary atonement. Your replacement on the cross. And I paid your sin debt in full so that you can live a life full of joy, full of freedom, knowing that my life was given for your life. Point number five is this. Jesus Christ has removed the sting of death. He's not taking death away. We're still going to have to face death, but you no longer have to fear death. If you've accepted by faith his free gift of salvation, if you know him personally as your Lord and Savior, what he did is he put his 
foot on the neck of death. And he reached down and he pulled the stinger out of it. He said, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Yes, you're going to die one of these days. But as far as where you'll spend eternity at after you die, you don't have to worry about that anymore. If you'll only trust in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 56 through 57 says this. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Not only the victory of the cross, but the victory of the empty tomb. When he rose up out of that grave, he said, I have conquered death. I'll live forevermore. And this is my assurance that you can live forevermore as well. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And from that point on, for the children of Israel, it says that so it was that when a person looked at the pole, they lived. So Moses hammered a serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent was bitten, anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. At first, if they were bitten by the serpent, some would die, some would suffer. But now because of God's provision, anyone that looked by faith and believed would live. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One time a little boy and his dad were riding down the road in a car. It was a warm spring day like it. They had the windows rolled down a little bit, enjoying the nice, fresh spring air. And all of a sudden, a, a honeybee flew in where they were at. And he was buzzing around, and the little boy was afraid of, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee in the car. Get rid of it. I, I don't want him to sting me, Daddy. What, what can you do about this? All of a sudden, the dad reached out, and he grabbed that bee by his hand, held him for just a few minutes, and he opened up his hand and let the bee go. Daddy, get this bee out of here. He says, son, you don't have to worry about it anymore. And he opened up his hand and he showed him. And the stinger was in the dad's hand. He said, that bee's not going to hurt you anymore. That's exactly what happened on the day that Jesus died. And the day that he rose up out of that tomb. He said, that I got the sting of death right here in my hand. You don't have to worry about it anymore. If you'll only trust in me and if you'll only, by faith, look to me for healing. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Where you stand in your relationship with the Lord today? I don't know what you're afraid of, but the invitation this morning is very clear. Are you infected with the curse of sin? The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Do you fear death because you don't know where you'll spend eternity at? Or perhaps you're a Christian here today. You've been blessed by God, but you still have an ungrateful, complaining spirit. And that fellowship with the Lord has been broken, your joy has been stolen. Because of some besetting sin in your life. This invitation is for everyone here. 
The thing for you this morning to ask is this. Have I lifted my eyes to the cross of Calvary? Have I looked to God for his healing power? Do I know who Jesus is? Do I know that he lives in me and he has full control of my life? If you're here today, ask yourself this question. Where would I spend eternity if I died right now? If I drew my, next, my last breath here in the next few minutes and I passed over in eternity, where would I spend eternity at? If you say, I don't know, you can leave today knowing for certain of where your eternal destination is. I would love to tell you how to begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can say for certain today, I know that heaven is my home. I know that I've been forgiven of my sins and I know that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior because I've lifted my eyes, I've looked to him and I've asked him to heal me of the disease of sin. It's, it all just like the children of Israel. I, I know I messed up. You confess your sins to him in the best way you can. Say, God, I messed up. I know I've sinned. I, I know I don't have that relationship with you and I want to start today. So Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I, pay, I, I know that you paid my sin debt. I believe that you came as a savior of the world and you died in my place. And now for that, I want to turn my life over to you. See, here's what I want you to know. God knows everything about you. He already knows your sin. He already knows your situation. But he loves you just the way they are. And he wants to come to you just the way that you are. You don't have to clean up to come to him. You come to him first and he'll clean you up. And he'll make you a new person. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. And to start in that relationship, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. It says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raising you from the dead, you will be saved. So in just a moment, as soon as the music starts, there's a decision that you need to make, either beginning a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe dealing with some sin in your life that's affected your fellowship with him if you're a These altars will be open. I'd love to talk to you more about that, and I'd love to help you begin that relationship. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. The message is as clear as I can make it, Lord God. I believe you've spoken to us today. My hope and my prayer, Lord God, is if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would remove all of their pride. That you would give them the boldness to come and, and make that known and begin that relationship. Lord, also, if there's anyone here that is a Christian, if they know for sure where they'll spend eternity, Lord God, if there's something that's impacting their fellowship with you, I pray that you'll reveal that to them, Lord God, and help them to walk in the confidence and the joy that they restore to them, Lord God, the joy of their salvation so that they can live a life that will let others know that there's redemption, there's healing, and there's forgiveness at the cross of Calvary. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's 
preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.